You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 134, The OK Crackers. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of You Don't Know Flat. Today is Sunday, May 12th, 2013, and I am your host, Rob Flat O'Hara. Today on You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about my cracking group from the Commodore 64 days, the OK Crackers. And speaking of the Commodore 64, most of you know that I now store the podcast on my Commodore 64. So now I'm going to load up the podcast, which will give us about 10 minutes to discuss a few things during the loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Before I get to voicemail and feedback, I have four little tiny notes here that I left myself. The first is that it's Mother's Day. Now, I had to wait until tonight, it's about 10.30 p.m., to record today's podcast because I had many Mother's Day-type activities planned with my wife's mother, and then with my mother, and then finally with my wife. So, we had a good Mother's Day, and everything went great. We ate lots of food, we had lots of good times, we gave lots of flowers, and now that's all done. I know how popular I am in the demographic of women who have had sex and had children, so I definitely wanted to give a shout-out for Mother's Day. (laughs) Number two, I am back home. Thank goodness. I work in a position in IT that normally does not involve travel, but... The project that I have been on over the past six months has required extensive travel, um, and I am glad to announce that as of last week, that project is done, and as of two weeks ago, I'm done traveling. So, uh, the last trip I took was my long road trip, where I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, then to Greensboro, North Carolina, and after a few days there, I drove the 300 miles up to Washington, D.C., And finally, I drove the, I believe it's about 1,300 miles home uh, from Washington, D.C. back to Oklahoma. So I am done traveling for the time being. So yay me. Um, No more travel, which means uh, that actually brings us to number three, which is, as many of you pointed out, I missed my first week of no podcasting. I had just driven 1,300 miles. I was beat. And then last week was actually the last week of my project, so I worked late a couple days, and then on top of that, my wife had knee surgery on Wednesday, so I was off work Wednesday and Thursday. Oh boy, it has been a couple of, it's been a rough three weeks. That's behind this, I'm done traveling for the time being, which is good for you, the listeners of You Don't Know Flack, hopefully everything will be back on track, and at some point between now and the end of the year, I will make up that extra uh, episode to everybody, so... The last thing I have on my list is just a quick note here. I wanted to uh, mention the passing of a friend. His name is Brad Prilwitz. And Brad 
you probably don't know Brad Prilowitz unless you have gone to the Oklahoma Video Game Expo, OVGE, in Tulsa. Uh, Brad was also on Digital Press and Atari Age. He posted under the name Pure Energy. Brad is, uh, I guess was, um, one of those super sweet, nice guys that was always smiling. He was always, he's very into uh, retro gaming. You know, at, at OVGE, Really, the only reason to set up a table is if you're selling something or if you were showing off something. And Brad uh, very rarely was selling anything. I think mostly he just would take game systems. He would set up tournaments and give away prizes and and do all these things. And um, he just loved, especially kids, coming up and playing the old games and stuff like that. In fact, I just found out um, on Facebook that I guess he left a large part of his collection to his nephew, who's going to carry on the retro flame. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, it's a uh, bummer. This is a weird new thing that uh, I haven't really dealt with. It's finding out um, that someone that I know passed away via Facebook. So that that's um, kind of a unique experience, you know. I mean, you could go to their page and see that they had just posted a few days ago and, and had some updates, and then all of a sudden that person's gone. Um, Brad was killed in a auto accident. Uh, earlier this week and actually today on mother's day uh would have been brad's 47th i believe birthday so anyway kind of a bummer news and and um i don't know if brad was listening to the podcast or not um but uh you know i i talked to him not too long ago on facebook actually i bought my uh uh original amiga computer from brad several years back and so um we weren't uh particularly close or anything like that, but I always look forward to seeing him at OVGE and, and, uh, talk to him every now and then on Facebook. So anyway, rest in peace, brother, Brad, uh, you'll be missed. You'll definitely be missed at OVGE and, uh, missed by the retro gaming community. So anyway, let's move on to, um, the feedback that I got from episode 133, which was about ninjas. If you all remember, And let me tell you, based on that feedback, I can tell you that I do not have my thumb on the pulse of my listener base at all. Uh, There have been several episodes I have done that I've thought were going to be huge. Um, The number one downloaded episode is the first episode, and it has um, over 10,000 downloads. So that's the high bar, okay? The episode I think that has the least amount of downloads is the one on Nintendo, the NES episode, which has about 400 downloads, which I don't understand that at all (laughs) because, um, it's my, you know, I I thought that, um, my audience was my retro gaming people, you know, and the episode about my parents' computer store has, um, I think around 800 downloads, something like that. So to put that in perspective, the Ninja episode, which has, uh, been online for two weeks as of today, has over 4,000 downloads now. <laughs> so, the ninja, I mean, you guys like ninjas. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, you know, when I when I set up, I, I like, um, and I, I get this from work, um, I try to keep things in scope. And the scope of the podcast originally was retro computing, retro gaming, retro technology. Some of those episodes take quite a bit of research where I have to go up and look and find facts and do things like that. So especially when I'm traveling, 
Uh, I tend to do uh, the other type of show, which is ones that I can do off the top of my head, like the OK Cracker one. I, I, you know, it's my stories and memories. So those I can just do with very little research. And I, I tend to keep those topics and do those on um, weeks when I'm pressed for time and don't have time to do the research. So when I do one of those, you know, every now and then I'll go outside that realm, the technology, the retro gaming, the retro computing, that kind of stuff, and go off like the Ninja episode, which is old stories, you know, from my childhood, which I think a lot of people have similar um, memories, you know, or, or did similar things. Um, but, you know, like I said, uh, there are episodes that I think that are going to do great, get very little traction, and ones that... Uh, uh, I don't want to call it a throwaway uh, episode, but, you know, ones that I I don't feel like are really inside the scope of the podcast take off. So maybe I'll just, I, you know what, I'll just, I'm going to scrap all the other topics I have and this will just be the ninja hour. <laughs> I'll just talk about ninjas to every week. So uh, this will be called You Don't Know Ninjas and we'll just change it all up. So anyway. Um, I know I'm running long on the intro here because I can still see that the drive's loading, but there's not much time left. So anyway, let's get into uh, some of the feedback I got. This first one is a voicemail message that I got from Sean. Sean is the founder of throwbackreviews.com. If you haven't checked out Sean's podcast, it's super awesome. They do reviews of uh, movies from the 80s. They just did The Last Starfighter and... Um, they did uh, Die Hard recently and a few others like that. So be sure and check out uh, throwbackreviews.com. This is Sean's feedback about the Ninja episode. Hey, Flack. How you doing? Sean here. I had to send in this recording. Um, I'm not even 100% done at the time of this recording listening to the Ninja episode. But I, I am at work, and I am just riding around on the tugger that I drive here at work, and I am just I have this smile from from ear to ear people looking at me weird it, you are cracking me up with this episode it, I, I can relate to so much uh, I too was uh, into ninjas uh, probably like most or a lot of uh, young boys at that time in the 80s um, I didn't have a suit uh, I did have a couple throwing stars real ones that a friend of my brother a girl that was friends with my brother, which I think she had a little crush on him. He was my older brother, and so I think she was trying to win him over through winning me over. So she somehow got these stars, and they would not stick into anything. They weren't sharp. I had no idea what I was doing, and quite frankly, I couldn't show my parents <laughs> to have them sharp. Um, I did have the wooden core foam practice nunchucks as well. Um, yeah. I, I felt like I was getting pretty good at them, but when I would feel like I was getting pretty good, that's when I would take one right between the legs. So they were still dangerous. Even with the foam padding, they were still dangerous. Um, but, and as far as uh, the shoes go, yep, I didn't have the shoes either. But what I did have is we had a store around here. Uh, I'm outside of Buffalo where it would sell tons of martial arts items back then, including weapons. And I had these, like, I guess they were more like a kung fu shoe, where they were black, and the sole on them was like a uh, orangish brown, real thin soles, and they were made so that you could wear them, but also bend your toes for a kick or something like that. Uh, you could you could manipulate your foot rather than if you had sneakers on. So I would wear those. But uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to be a a ninja myself. 
I uh, took Taekwondo as a kid, so because of that. As far as, uh, I think you called it ring and run, yeah, we used to do that as well. We would call it ding dong ditch. And again, just like you, we always, uh, well, I guess I'm not proud of it, but I guess kids did it back then. We would go around the neighborhood, street over or so, and do it. And that was always fun. You'd have people chasing you and you're hiding in the bushes. But even out front of my own house, where we used to all hang out, um, there'd always be somebody. I'm sure I did it. My brother did it. Maybe the neighbor kid or whoever. We'd be hanging out, talking or whatever, playing 2 and touch football at night under the streetlights, and somebody would just unannounced go and knock on the neighbor's door, just start running. And, of course, everyone always ran to my house. And five minutes later, either someone would come over to my house and my mother would call, Sean, or we'd get a, I'd hear the phone ring. We progressed from that to climbing up in a tree that overhung the street and dropped water balloons on cars uh, as they drove down my street. It was a uh, suburb street, so it wasn't real busy, but still not the safest thing. And I would probably uh, ground my kid for three months if I caught him doing that, which I didn't get grounded. So I made off on that one, even though we did run out of the tree and we almost dropped one on a police car until the neighbor girl said, kind of yelled to us not to do it. She saw the car but uh, yeah, this was a great episode. I love the fact that you left in, in the very beginning the Power Walkers and the entire episode. Um, I think the sound quality was great. I love the ambience of the birds and everything. But the entire episode, I'm waiting for a police car to just pull up on you. And I thought I was getting that moment. Not that I want you to get in trouble, but I just thought it would be, be podcast gold. Uh, when, the, when the car pulled up to you bumper to bumper, but it was the dog walkers, I thought, here is the point where the police come up to the guy sitting in the parking lot for an hour wondering what he's doing. So uh, another great episode, Flack. Keep them coming. And, yes, throwback reviews will do Revenge of the Ninja at some point, and you will be on that episode. All right, man. Thanks again. I also got an email from Scott Sackett, uh, who said that he enjoyed the episode. He also, he grew up in the town that I grew up in, which is Yukon, Oklahoma. And, um, he said he enjoyed the Ninja episode and he had a similar episode to my ring and run incident. Uh, he and a friend were spending the night with a buddy who lived North of Yukon in a mobile home on a couple of acres. And, uh, he and his friends, decided it would be cool to walk a couple miles in the middle of the night to a nearby housing condition and TP some houses. He says, I think we had TP'd every house when someone decided we should ring someone's doorbell. Whoever lived there must have been awake because instantly their porch light came on, then the garage door opened, and they backed out and started driving around slowly. While we were hiding under a truck across the street, he must have seen us because he pulled back into his garage and came out with what we thought was a bat until we heard the boom of a shotgun and heard pellets hit the truck we were under. See, this is something that happens in Oklahoma. <laughs> that might not happen, depending on where you're listening. Uh, he says, for some reason, after firing a few rounds, he went back in the house and we took off running. None of us had ninja suits that day, but they would have been handy, especially a brown one. <laughs> but thanks, Scott, for sending me that story. You can find uh, Scott Sackett is a super incredible illustrator and artist. You can see some of his artwork at scottsackett.org. I'll put that in the show notes, but it's Scott, S-C-O-T-T, Sackett, S-A-C-K-E-T-T, dot org. So you can check out um, some of Scott's work there. I don't have any projects lined up right now, but I've looked at Scott's artwork, and it's super awesome. And um, 
So I may be hitting up Scott. Maybe uh, we can do something for a cover of a, one of my upcoming books or something like that. That would be, I'd really like to work with him. Um, I also got some comments this week from Twitter. I got a comment from Doug McCoy. You guys remember Doug? He sponsored one of the episodes of You Don't Know Flack. Uh, Doug says, in regards to the Ninja episode, best episode of You Don't Know Flack ever, I was LOLing while walking through the grocery store. <laughs> Which is, uh, I just like that people would listen to my podcast in a grocery store or be thinking about ninja stories, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, thanks, Doug. Don't forget that you can find out about Doug's books at authordougmccoy.com. I also got a tweet from Guy Hutchison who says, when I was a kid, I worried that if you went to Japan, you would be attacked by ninjas at every turn. I just thought it was deadly. <laughs> Which, um, again, you know what's funny is, um, I remember when I was in um, middle school, I think the 7th or 8th grade, this girl from California moved to, to Oklahoma. And that was one of the first things she told me, is that her friends had told her to watch out going out at night that you would be attacked by Indians. Um, well, now, now we say Native Americans, but, uh, uh, unless it's a casino, it's Indian casinos, but Native American people, I think, I don't know. I'm not very PC. I should be more PC, but, um, it's funny that he would think that about going to Japan because I remember somebody telling me that same thing about coming to Oklahoma. Uh, if you want to send feedback on any episode, I would love to hear it. You can send me feedback at Rob O'Hara at Rob Send me a message on Facebook on the You Don't Know Flack page. You can send me a message on Twitter. I am at Commodork on Twitter, or you can call the voicemail box at area code 206-309-9501. So that's what's been banging. Hey, speaking of banging, that's the 1541 drive banging. And that could only mean one thing, that the podcast has completely loaded, and we are now ready to start... Episode 134 of You Don't Know Flack, The OK Crackers. This week's story begins back in the, I guess you could say the early 1980s, which predates uh, the OK Crackers by a few years. But in the early days of computers, of home computers... To prevent people from illegally copying software, software companies would implement copy protection on their disks. This is probably something you're familiar with. They would put some sort of copy protection on the actual disk that would prevent you from making copies of the diskettes. So, some people who thought that software should be free, some people who... Um, I guess there were people who enjoyed uh, just simply the challenge of removing copy protection, like it was a, a game, you know, a puzzle, the challenge of uh, undoing that work. People would remove the copy protection from programs, and that was called cracking. So most of you probably know this, but I'm just kind of laying the, uh, the groundwork here. So uh, cracking software was an art um, back in the day. I mean, you are basically disassembling someone else's code and changing a program to run in such a way that it wasn't originally designed to do. Um, so the people that cracked software would put what we call intros on the front of these programs, and it would be what we called a cracking screen. So you would load 
whatever game it was, um, like some of the early ones. I mean, there were very basic ones in the beginning. A lot of games had a basic screen that would come up that would say, now loading. I remember a couple I remember, like um, Ghostbusters, I remember was one, and Mario Brothers, uh, both for the Commodore, where you would um, load the game, and it would say, you know, originally it said, like, loading Ghostbusters by Activision, and someone had gone in and changed the text. So instead of, you know, by Activision, it would say, you know, by the Midnight Cracker or something, you know. So that that's how... Um, intro screens or cracking screens began as intros. So basically what it was was almost like a graffiti tag from the person who had cracked the software to let you know who had cracked the program. And so as time went on, these screens became more and more uh, intricate. They went from simple text to still pictures to eventually moving pictures um, pictures, you know, uh, what they call scrollers, where you would have scrolling text that would go through. Um, but yeah, they would play music. You know, I, I joked in, in the book Commodore that some of the intros were actually better than the games they were attached to. I mean, the intros would have great graphics and sound and all these things, and then the game would, would be terrible, you know. But And actually, I guess the demo scene, what we know now is people that made demos kind of split off from the, the cracking... Uh, the intro scene, you know, of people that would, would crack the software and do intros because they were more interested later that the people that were doing the, the coding of the intros were more interested in showing off their abilities, uh, their music, their um, showcasing their talents, their graphical abilities, than they were interested in, you know, cracking the software. But anyway, so you had people that were cracking software and they would add these um, intros, so you call it an intro it would either be in the loading sequence, so you may have a separate file, so you would, like, let's just, talking about Ghostbusters, let's say, um, uh, let's just say that Ghostbusters has three files, and they're called, you know, G1, G2, G3. Well, what somebody might do for their intro was they might uh, put their intro at G2, and then they might, you know, rename the other parts G3 and G4. So you would load Ghostbusters. It would load their intro, uh, you know, show off their picture or whatever, and then you would hit space bar to continue, and then it would continue to load the game. Um, but more advanced intros were actually attached to the main file. So it was just one file, but it was a, a... So you would load you know, the program and then run, and you would see the intro, and then you would hit space, and then the, the game itself would um, uh, expand into memory and run. So... There were more than just the crackers that began attaching these files to the beginning of cracked games. Um, there were also what we called couriers. And couriers were the people that moved software from one place to another. So they would call one BBS and download games, and then they would uh, you know, call another BBS and upload them. So some people would add their own uh, screen, you know, their own intro, on front of the intro that was already on there. So it really wasn't uncommon to get games that had two or three, uh, occasionally even four intros on the beginning of it because um, a lot of sysops would uh, add an intro, you know, as an advertisement for their BBS. So you would download a game, run it, and it would say, hey, you know, this game came from such and such BBS. Be sure and call this BBS. And then you would hit space, and then it would go, it, it, it took a lot of work. I don't even know if you could do it. Uh, I'm sure it could be done, but it would take a lot of work to 
remove someone else's intro. Like it would take actual, you know, um, coding and understanding of that. But to attach your intro to the front took very little work. There were programs that would let you do that. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But so you would see these programs, they would have multiple intros or whatever. Um, and it could be the couriers. It could be a sysop that was adding them, um, you know, just a multitude of reasons. So it was kind of considered bad taste to add an intro if you weren't really adding anything to the, uh, what's the word? Process? The ecosystem? <laughs> I don't really know how to say it other than, I mean, just, it, it's kind of like um, when comparing it to graffiti. You know, There were graffiti artists that would put their art to, to display their art or to mark their territory, things like that. But to just go in and just scribble on someone else's, you know, graffiti or whatever is kind of bad taste. So it's, it's, um, the same idea. So anyway, as I have mentioned, I, and I went into this in great detail in my book, Commodore. So if you want to find out more about this time or whatever, then you should go pick up Commodore. I hate plugging my own stuff. I, it really, I don't even like doing it, but, um, uh, you can get Commodore from uh, rubblehair.com forward slash Commodore as a PDF download for three bucks. So if you, um, and actually the first chapter is online for free. So, uh, or I do still sell the print copy, but I'm actually getting pretty low on print copies. So anyway, what I had seen my dad do on the Apple and in the IBM world was to find multiple sources of software and trade software between those sources. So in other words, let's say you found guy number one and guy number two. So what you would do is copy, you know, get, let's say five or 10 new programs from guy number one. Then you would call guy number two and say, Hey, I have these programs, you know, what do you have? And you would trade stuff with guy number two. And then whatever you got from guy number two, then you would call back guy number one. Hey, I got some more free stuff. Uh, and you know, and, and so you would, get these different connections. And the key was to get, you know, make sure guy number one and guy number two didn't know each other. If they were already uh, trading software, then being the middleman was kind of pointless. But by being the middleman, you got software from both guy number one and guy number two. Um, so I had kind of seen how that worked. You know, it was really frowned upon to just be somebody who called BBSs and downloaded all the time. We call those people leeches. It was much more, you know, a give and take type thing. Uh, there were some BBSs that implemented uh, ratios, you know, so you could download one, you know, uh, some of them were very lax. Like you could upload for, you could download 10 files for every one you uploaded or some went by the actual size, you know, so you would get so many K for, you know, what you uploaded, you would get credit. But anyway, that's what I did. I found lots of different BBSs that were in different circles, people that didn't necessarily know each other. And I would download from one and upload to the other and then download what they had and upload it to the other. So not only was I getting all the software, but I was amassing, you know, all these um, download credits. Uh, the, don't get me wrong, I used <laughs> quite a bit. I downloaded everything I could find. So I, I built this library of software that was much larger than what other people built. And the part of the reason was because I was building the software library for different reasons. I wasn't just downloading games that I wanted to play. I was downloading everything I could find because I didn't necessarily want to play all those games, but I wanted to own them to have trade fodder. Uh, so that was a, a, a different concept for um, a lot of people. I mean, you know, let's say there are three games and somebody might say, well, only the first one sounds good, so that's all they would download. But I would download all three because in that, um, 
example I gave you, you know, you got guy number one, guy number two. Well, you know, maybe guy number one is looking for game one while guy number two is looking for game number two. So you, it was, um, it was trade fodder is what we called it. You know, you just built up your, your library if you were into trading games and stuff. So you would have, you know, I remember a guy one time, uh, that was looking for a bowling league program. And I, I don't remember if it was a specific one or something, but I had it, you know, I mean, and so I had no use for a bowling league program, but th- that's what this guy was looking for. So by doing that, I was able to get the hookup, you know, um, get that guy something he wanted and then I could get stuff in return. So that that's was my mentality at the time was not to just download software that I wanted, but to download stuff that could be used for trade bait. So anyway, as time went on, my software library, my personal collection of copy discs, uh, I noticed was getting much larger than other people's. Um, you know, when, when uh, my friends had 20 or 30 discs, you know, I had an entire shoebox. I had like 80 or 90 discs. And then when I met people, you know, that would have 100 discs, I had a couple hundred or whatever. And then eventually, you know, I had two, three, four hundred discs. Um, which was a lot of work back then to keep all that stuff organized. I had lists, I had software programs where I would keep track of, you know, what programs were all on disk. It was, it was a, a lot of work, um, which all seems like a huge waste of time in retrospect. Um, but you know, so that, that's what I, some people collected baseball cards or, uh, you know, thing, little toys or whatever like that. But I, collected software and so i would that was my little collection oklahoma i would think is a fairly small bbs market i mean oklahoma city the metro area i mean there were lots of different bbs's to call and stuff but uh it was a pretty small pond let's just put it that way and so as i was trading with other people i would tell people you know i have the largest collection of commodore games which is one of those things that's impossible to prove you know, you have to, somebody has to disprove it. You have to find somebody that has more than you to disprove uh, when you make claims like that. And people started telling me about this guy named Klaatu. And they said, nah, Klaatu, he's got more software than anybody. And so eventually I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta find this Klaatu guy. I gotta hook up with Klaatu because if he's got more software than me, uh, you know, I'd like to see that. So, I eventually found Klaatu on a BBS, and we uh, made a, a time, we made an arrangement where I would bring my stuff over to his house, and we would copy uh, software. So, at this time, I was probably, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, something like that, maybe 14. And uh, it turns out Klaatu was, like, in his 40s, uh, and he was a... Um, a postman. He delivered mail. And, you know, he had a wife and he had two kids. And um, so it was like, you know, a grown man. And he was in a local Commodore users group where he was a software librarian. And then he had kind of just taken, I guess, whatever, I don't know if, if you would say like whatever about that job that he enjoyed it, but he was also a, a software librarian as far as, you know, uh, cracked games and, and illegal programs, whatever. So, um, so he did have a very large collection. He had way more programs than I did. And um, one thing I remember about Klaatu is that he only used the front side 
of floppy disks, which was how you were supposed to use them. You were only supposed to use them on the front side, and they actually had a little disk filter inside there that would collect the disk as the disk spun around. Um, but if you bought a disk notcher, you could notch the disk and write to the back side of the disk. And um, he told me one time that if you did that, that it was actually running that filter in reverse and, and depositing dirt in your disk drive. Now, I don't know if that's really true, but, um, but you know, he, so he told me that he only used the front side of these disks, which I, I always thought was kind of neat. But anyway, uh, so I went over there and Klaatu, like I said, he had, if I had 200 or 300 disks, he must have had 1,000. I mean, it, just this giant, of course, he only used one side, but still, um, I mean, he had a lot of disks or whatever. And so he and I uh, began this friendship where, I mean, the two of us had that same uh, drive, which sounds like a strange thing for when you're talking about downloading, you know, crack games or whatever, but we had that same drive to get everything, and we were doing the same thing, you know. And so eventually... You know, we just kind of came to this understanding that we would be benefiting one another if we started working together. And Klaatu was spending a lot of money downloading all this software because he was doing a lot of -of out-of-state calling. So he would call long distance and download games and then um, inject them into the Oklahoma BBS scene. Now, I was doing, I wasn't calling long distance that much at that time, but I, you know, had time and money invested in what I was doing as well. In fact, um, I think I mentioned this in Commodore, um, but right when I met, um, when I met Klaatu, he had a 12, or no, a 2400 baud modem, which I believe 2400 baud is faster than the actual serial <laughs> link works from the Commodore to the disk drive. I've read that. I think that only is about 1800, uh, baud in speed. So I mean, 2400 baud, I th- and I paid $350 for this modem from him for 2400 baud. But that allowed he and I to transfer things back and forth relatively quickly over the phone lines back at a time when most Commodore users still had 1200 baud and a lot still had 300 baud. So, Klaatu told me that he was getting frustrated that he was spending all this money and time getting new software and not getting any credit for it. And I said, you know, I agreed with him. I said, yeah, you know, we're doing a lot of work and it's like, we're getting all this software and uploading it to BBSs and then people are just downloading it and they don't know who's doing all this work. So, uh, I believe that he came up with the idea that we should have our own cracking group. Um, and he came up with the name of the OK Crackers and our, uh, initials were OKK. So every cracking group at the time, most of them had three, uh, letter, abbreviations, you know, like Fairlight would be FTI or, you know, this group or that group, you know, the ABC would be the somebody crackers or whatever. And so on the file names, you know, it would have the file name and then um, a dash and then the three letter initials or something, you know, so that's, that's like your little signature for your graffiti, you know, your, your OKK. So we were the OK crackers, OKK. And the very first thing that we we decided is that we needed to do this anonymously. We didn't want, um, well, number one, we didn't want people to be pestering us like, you know, hey, can I be in your group? Can I be in the OK Crackers? Or, you know, I want all your software, like that kind of stuff. And the other part of it was, is that we, you know, thought 
that there was a possibility that this could bring uh, undesirable attention from law enforcement on us. Now, maybe that was delusions of grandeur. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the police ever even investigated back then, you know, software crackers and pirates and stuff like that. So, uh, but, you know, we want to, you know, especially this guy, Clatu, I mean, he had a, a day job, you know. I mean, he was a family man. He was uh, definitely old enough to uh, not want to get in legal trouble, whereas, you know, I was 14 and, and invincible, so I didn't care. But So we decided that for the group we would come up with new aliases, and these would be our secret aliases that we only used for OK Cracker uh, activity. And so Clatu chose the name Paladin. He was... Um, kind of into, I don't, I don't know if I would say Dungeons and Dragons more as um, he was more into fantasy, like um, maybe the the Lord of the Rings books, things like that. Maybe not D&D specifically, but he was, was into some of the fantasy kind of stuff, so he became Paladin and I chose the incredibly original moniker Metallica. Which, by the way, there was at least one person who went by Metallica in every area code. And most area codes had two or three Metallicas. So why uh, I picked that, and what's even funnier is when I look at the time frame, I don't even think I was a Metallica fan, really, at that point. Um, I mean, I, I would say that I am... Uh, well, I definitely was for a long time, but uh, and maybe that's around the time that uh, I discovered Metallica, but it still seems pretty early... Uh, I mean, this is going to be 86, 87, somewhere in there. I don't know, but it seems pretty early for me to... Definitely, I wouldn't say I was a huge Metallica fan at the time. And maybe I had just discovered the group and, and um, you know, was enamored with them for some... Whatever reason, I don't know. Just stupid kid stuff. So anyway, I, I became a Metallica as far as the OK Crackers were concerned. So... um. So we kind of started doing um, what each of us did best. So Paladin or Klaatu uh, would call long distance to get this software or whatever. And then I would come up with intro screens. So I would come up with these graphics. And I am horribly embarrassed to admit that most of the cracking screens and stuff that we used, I stole from other people, which was possible back then because there was no internet. There was small pockets of BBS community. So all you had to do was call some other BBS, maybe in another town or call long distance or whatever, and it would be like a whole different um, pool of users and files and artwork and things like that. So the... Um, you know, if we wanted a, a cracking screen or whatever, something cool. I remember this one that uh, I called this BBS one time. I don't remember where it was, but I, I found this directory of all these pictures. And so I downloaded this picture and it was like a picture of a computer desk. And um, it had, you know, like there was like a sphere and a cube and some other stuff on the desk. And then it had a Commodore screen. And so I took that, and then I went, and I it had someone else's name on it. I don't remember whose name it was, but um, 
that I took their name off and I put the OK Crackers where their name was. And on the screen, I put OKK, you know, I mean, on the, the screen that was on the picture, I put OKK and, you know, stuff like that. And then I would send it to him. And uh, I don't remember, I don't think I ever told him that I was doing these, you know, from scratch. I mean, I'm sure he must have known. Yeah, I'm sure he, he must have known, um, you know, that we were taking other people's pictures and modifying them and things like that. But, um, and, and even better was I had a final cartridge three, which would allow you to take picture screenshots. So you could load up, uh, I remember I, like I had this slideshow of high res pictures and I would just run this, the slideshow and then grab the pictures and, um, you know, then we would go write okay crackers on them and stuff like that. And now I just think that's so incredibly tacky. Like I'm so embarrassed that I did that. I mean, even though I was a little kid, um, you know, it, it just seems like it's, it's tacky to take other people's work. Um, you know, now knowing like, uh, how much work went into creating some of those pictures and stuff like that. And, you know, just slapping our name on it and stuff. I don't know. It just seems a bad taste now in retrospect. It's funny that that bothers me much more than stealing people's programs. <laughs> like that part of it, I didn't have any problem with like, Oh, we'll just, you know, some game that somebody spent a year writing, you know, we'll just steal it and upload it. Like that doesn't bother me. Um, I mean, it does now obviously as an adult, but, um, you know, as a kid, that part didn't bother me, but taking other people's pictures and putting our names on it for some reason that did. But anyway, um, so I would do that. I would find songs and, and whatever. And, and, you know, we would try to make our little things original. And so we would download these programs, whatever cloud two was getting from out of state. And we would throw our little intro on the front of it. And, you know, it would say the okay crackers, you know? And, um, so we just sent a few of these out and then we just kind of let it wait and sit, you know, and, and then we would check message areas and see, you know, and people did. They started talking. Who are the OK Crackers? Who are this Paladin and Metallica? What, who are these people? What's going on? You know. So we we kind of got that started a little bit, and then we met another guy who went by Brand Mac Morn, which up until I guess when I was working on Commodore, I always thought that he, that was something he had made up. And then you know, once we found Google, um, and I was uh, working on Commodore, I I went to look for Brand Mac Morn and found out that it was a a character in some science fiction novels. So I, I had no idea at the time. I just thought he'd made it up. I guess I never asked him, but, um, so Bran McMorn was, uh, I think he must've been in the air force because he lived on, uh, at Tinker air force base. He lived on the base and, um, Bran McMorn had cracked defender of the crown. Um, by hand. I mean, not, he didn't use some other program or whatever. Like he had gone into the, you know, the actual assembly or whatever and figured out how to crack it. And so he had been talking to Clatu, and then I started talking to him and I'm like, yeah, we got to get this dude. I mean, we have to expand okay crackers and we have to, you know, bring this guy into the group. So I think he still kept his same name. I think he still went by Bram McMorn for some reason, but, um, Maybe he had some other aliens. I, I don't know. Lost details, lost to the annals of time, unfortunately. But anyway, so we got Bran McMorn, and the hot new game that had just come out was Battle Chess. And so uh, we gave, I think I remember Clatu bought Battle Chess, and he gave a copy 
or took a copy to Bran McMorn. So he would drive over there and give him a copy. And what Bran McMorn did was he went through the code and the copy protection in Battle Chess was such that you had to look up these um, chess moves like from famous chess games in the manual. So it would say, you know, in game of this person versus this person, what was the winning move? And it might say, you know, go, uh, you know, from D5 to D8. And so you would have to type in D5, D8. So it was four characters. And so what he did was went in into the assembly where and changed all of the codes that it was looking up to say, OKK exclamation mark. And we had to have four because the, the moves were all four characters. So he changed them all to OKK exclamation mark. So... Uh, once that was done, we took it and um, did some branding. You know, I'm sure I slapped my the group's name on someone else's picture or whatever, and then we uploaded it, and it was like our first official crack. You know, I mean, it was kind of cheesy the way we did it, but um, but that really got people's attention. I mean, in this area, you know, and so uh, we spent a couple of years basically doing this little system, I and mean, Clatu would do his part he would call long distance or whatever and he also had a job so he would buy software new games that came out and then brand mcmorn was like our back-end guy he would crack software you know we um uh he, he didn't live too terribly far from Clatu, so and i was at a disadvantage at this point because i wasn't old enough to drive yet <laughs> so every now and then my parents would take me out and drop me off you know and we would do all our little dastardly pirate deeds over at um Clatu's house. But anyway, so it was the three of us. And then uh, we met two guys named Beetlejuice and Eight Ball. Now, these guys were like, oh, I'm going to say six years older than me. So I was like 15 at this point, and they're like 21, 22. And Beetlejuice just had this reputation for being a big party guy. Like he was always having parties and invite modem parties and invite people over and we'll all have parties, party, party, party. Um, and he also, uh, was calling, doing a lot of long distance BBS calling. So, and I don't know if that was legal or not legal calling, but, um, I mean, he was always broke. He was always out of money. He was always getting his utility shut off. So I'm guessing it was not legal. I'm guessing he was, circumventing uh, <laughs> paying a phone bill in, in one manner or another. And then there was 8-Ball, who I didn't really know at the time, except for he was Beetlejuice's friend. And it turns out that 8-Ball now in real life is somebody that um, went to the same high school I went to. He's a, a few years older than me, and he's on my Facebook page now. And, and um, so we actually did end up knowing each other through um, different circles, so it was kind of weird. But anyway... So these two guys were dying to be part of uh, the OK Crackers. And I don't remember if that was their aliases before, but those were, I, I think, you know, I mean, that was our thing is that you had to have a new alias to join. So maybe they had a different alias. But in the OK Crackers, uh, it was Beetlejuice and the 8-Ball. So these guys, we decided to let them into the OK Crackers. So um, Beetlejuice's job was he would call long distance and, and start getting us more software and also spreading the OK Cracker programs to long distance. Um, and I don't remember if 8-Ball, I think it was just a package deal. Like, it was just the two of them, and, and um, so you got both. So we got both. And um, 
so anyway, there, there was a, a story that I, I did put in Commodore, and it's uh, kind of a funny story, but my parents, by this age, and I, like I said, I'm 15 years old at this point, my parents were really used to taking me and dropping me off at strangers' houses with all my Commodore stuff, copying discs for a few hours, and then they would come back and get me. So, one weekend, Beetlejuice says he's going to have a modem party for the OK Crackers, and it's going to be a big wild party, and, and um, so I asked my parents if I could go, and it, it was supposed to be a overnight, like a sleepover, so they said fine. Like I said, this was not really out of the normal, or out of the norm uh, for me at that time, you know, to go meet these people on the computer and go over to their house and, and trade software and hang out. So, when I got over to their house, uh, it was, I think I said in the book it was, uh, well, I don't know that it was not out of control that early in the evening. It did eventually get very out of control. Um, but my parents, and my mom dropped me off and I took all my computer stuff in. And I noticed right off the bat that I'm the only person there with any computer stuff at all. Nobody else there has computer stuff. Uh, they have beer. So here I am, I'm 15, I hook up my little Commodore, you know, and I'm like, hey, look at this, I, I you know, I'm working on this, this graphic, and nobody cares <laughs> what I'm doing at all. I do remember that Klaatu came to the party and was there for about 15 minutes and left. <laughs> so it was definitely not his scene. Um, so anyway, uh, at one point, Beetlejuice says, um, you know, we need to get more girls here and stuff like that. So he says, let's um, go up to Cactus Jack's, which I've mentioned in some of the other episodes. It was a local arcade. And we'll go pick up some chicks. And I'm like, I I was 15. I mean, I never heard of anybody that would just go pick up chicks, you know? I thought that was pretty cool. So, also, he had an MG, which is like a small, tiny, two-seater car. And his wasn't particularly reliable. Um, so, he and I get in his car. We go to Cactus Jack's. He goes into where their the people are playing pool, and he's just going up to girls like, "Hey, I'm having this party. It's gonna be free beer. We got a keg. We got beer. Uh, come to the party." And so there's like carloads now of girls that are coming over to this party. Plus, you know, there's already a ton of people there. Um, I remember there was like three or four of us in his MG, which is if you don't know what an MG is, if you're too young to remember MGs, I mean, it was like the the uh, Miata of the seventies. So we're all, we've got like four, maybe five people crammed into this MG. I don't know. Uh, driving back. I'm like, this is like the craziest thing. You know, this is what I imagine my life would be like in college every day. Like, this is how awesome life would be. Um, college didn't turn out to be that awesome, but, uh, yeah, it was just very, very crazy wild night. We get back to, Beetlejuice's place. I remember that one of the windows had been broken. Somebody had hit a pool ball and it had gone flying and it had broken a window. Uh, and I'm like, there's a lot of people here. Let's Are we going to play some Commodore games? And <laughs> nobody there wanted to play Commodore games. I'm sure nobody really wanted a 15-year-old hanging out at this party. Um, but eventually somebody started handing me beers and I was like, well, I guess this is where, you know, I guess this is uh, time time to uh, put up or shut up, you know, whatever. I don't know what I was thinking. So I start drinking these beers. And, it, I mean, this is like my first time to drink beer. Um, so, you know, as a, you know, I'm 15, and so it just tasted horrible. But 
all these other guys were doing it. They're egging me on. So I'm like, yeah, man, let's let's drink some beers, you know. <clears throat> and uh, there was so much crazy stuff going on. I mean, I could do a whole podcast about just that party. But uh, at some point in the night, uh, there's a knock at the door. More more a uh, more specifically, a banging at the door. And it's the police. And someone has called the police because this party is out of control. There are people outside. There are people inside. There's music. There's yelling. Um, there are people in various stages of undress. I mean, this is like an animal house type party. Uh, and so the police come in and I'm like, oh my God, I am going to jail. I am screwed. I am so much more at this point afraid of what my parents are going to do to me than what the police would do to me. Um, and the police come in and they're like, you know what? There looks like there's a lot of underage people here and we want everybody who's underage. So they started dividing everybody up. They said, if you're underage, we want you to go into the bedroom, which was the back room. If you're 21 or over, stay in the front room. And so there were a few of us and we went into the bedroom and shut the door and I was like, I'm out of here. And I, I opened up this window and just kind of like jumped out the window um, and this apartment was on the first floor, but it was like on a kind of, a like the back area was raised up or something. So it was this long fall <laughs> to the sidewalk. Uh, and I remember falling just in this thud, like, oh my God, that hurt. Uh, and I took off running and I am on a side of town. I don't even remember where it was at. Uh, I didn't know where I was. Um, and I'm 15 and I've been drinking really bad beer um, and next door to these apartments was a car dealership. So I ran next door and I jumped into the back of this pickup and I'm like, I'll just hide here. Um, I have no idea what I'm thinking, you know, uh, and it had rained or something because the back of the bed was wet. So now I'm all wet and I'm laying there and I guess I passed out for a little while or something because... I was gone for like two hours. And what I didn't know is that the police were at the house for less than five minutes. Basically, they told everybody to shut up, uh, you know, be quiet. And so anyway, you know, like two hours later, I come back and they're all freaking out. Nobody knows where I went, where I, you know, I was like, oh, the obvious answer. I've been sleeping in the back of a pickup in a car dealership that's nearby. <laughs> where else would I be? Um, and so I go back and I remember there's a type of chair. I used to call them a floppy chair. I don't know what the true term is, but it's like a chair that kind of, it's all, it's very square and it folds up into kind of a chair, but then it unfolds into a straight, very narrow mattress. So we, we had one when I was a kid, we called it the floppy chair. Um, so anyway, he had a floppy chair like that, but it was black vinyl. And, you know, they're like, have some more beer, have some more beer. And I'm like, oh, I think the room's kind of spinning. I don't think I should have any more beer. And um, I was like, I want to lay down on that floppy chair. And so I remember getting on my hands and knees, throwing up all over the floppy chair, and then laying down in it and going to sleep. So... <laughs> This is a night of good decisions for the Flakmeister. Uh, so I am literally sleeping in my own puke. I mean, I am face down in puke asleep. Um, I had, in the 80s, I thought I had the best hair. I had the worst hair. I mean, when I look back at pictures, I always had terrible hair. Um, but I had, like, grown my hair out. Um, 
And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, I mean, I, I had slept till morning, and one of the guys taps me on the shoulder, and they're like, hey, your mom's here. And I'm like, my mom's here? And I go to sit up, and, like, my face is stuck to this vinyl thing from dried puke, and, like, one of my eyes is stuck shut <laughs> from puke. And so I finally get up, and my shirt is torn where I had jumped out the window and landed on the sidewalk. I got blood on my arm. Um, I mean, I really looked like I had just been, you know, beat up and vomited on. And so um, I, I went out, and actually Beetlejuice and 8-Ball had been out in the parking lot trying to push start his car. They were going to push start the MG because for some reason it wouldn't start and they they were going to push it and go get donuts and just leave me at this apartment. So when while they were out there is when my mom had pulled up and they had come in, you know. Uh, so they helped me carry my stuff out. And I, I can only imagine what I looked like that next morning. I mean, my hair was sticking every... I mean, there's chunks of stuff that I had eaten the day before in my hair. Um, I mean, I... And to this, my parents never said a word to me. I think, honestly, I think they just thought whatever lesson that <laughs> that needed to be learned that night, I had probably learned, and they were right. I did learn it. I didn't drink beer for a long time after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I also quit partying with people that were, you know, six years uh, my senior. I, that, I learned that was not... Uh, not a good idea. And also, I, I do remember one time uh, asking if I could go over to Beetlejuice's house for something, and my mom just said no. <laughs> so I don't think I pulled anything over. Uh, don't think I pulled the wool over their eyes, so to speak. I think they knew um, uh, what had happened that night. It was a rough night for old Jack Flack, I'll tell you that. But anyway. Um, then... At some point, we admitted a sixth member to the OK Crackers, and that was a girl named Mysteria. And I don't... Mysteria was not a friend of mine. I think she was a friend of Klaatu's. Um, and Mysteria was one of these people... I think in, in Commodore, I called her a double agent. And I don't mean that necessarily uh, as bad as it sounds, but... She had one foot in this other circle of modem-type people and, and, you know, uh, and people that didn't really care necessarily for the OK Crackers and what we were doing. And so uh, she would tell us everything, what they were doing, you know. Um, but I suspect, in retrospect now, that she was telling them everything we were doing. And this gets into all the politics. You know, the part of BBS is that a lot of people don't know about if you weren't there, that there was an awful lot of gossiping and a he said, she said type stuff and this person's doing this or these people are dating these people or whatever. There was a lot of that because BBSs were all local type people, you know. It was all a local scene. So Mysteria was that person. I mean, now you would just say it was like a drama type person, you know. Like I said, I wasn't really friends with her I think she was closer to to Clatu's uh, age than mine. So, a friend of hers was a, a fellow who went by the name Doc Dread, and Doc Dread had single handedly, not single handedly, but he had singled out, I guess, uh, 
Doc Dredd had some sort of vendetta against the OK Crackers. And like I said, it, it's been so long, you know. Um, but I, I know one of the things um, that had happened during this time is Clatu lived down the street from a couple of guys who ran a BBS, and they had one of the few BBSs around here that had a Commodore hard drive, uh, which was, I mean, I won't say unheard of, but, um, you know, they were close to $1,000 for a 20 meg hard drive back then, so not many people had Commodore hard drives. But they had one, they had one for their BBS, and then the uh, it was brothers, and the older brother went into the military. I think he went into the Navy. But when he did, they moved the BBS down to Clatu's house. So Clatu had the BBS, we rebranded it, we renamed it the Wear Shop BBS, um, and it was the new official headquarters of the OK Cracker. So we had our own BBS, we had a... Uh, gigantic hard drive at the time for storing all our stuff and now we have people calling us instead of us having to call all these other people and trade software back and forth we were running um not cnet what was the other one image bbs and it was a big thing at the time uh for bbs authors would look for people that were running pirated copies of bbs's and Doc Dredd, I guess, had found out that we were running a pirated copy of Image BBS. And so there was, like I said, I, I, I have to say a lot of this is my memories of how these things played out. There may have been different details or something. I mean, honestly, I just don't remember. Some of it's, you know, it's just the way that you've told the story, the way I remember it. And, and you know, taking things with a grain of salt, uh, you know, I was 15, so my perspective may not have been exactly you know, how things went down. But uh, what I remember is that Doc Dredd said that he was going to try to get us in trouble for running a pirated copy of Image BBS. And so there was a way that if you called the BBS or something and you could put in, type in some kind of code at a menu and it would return a serial number and then you could send that serial number in and they would tell you who it was registered to. So anyway, I... At some point, Mysteria and Doc Dredd had um, copied programs, and she had got a copy of his uh, BBS because he ran a BBS, and it was Image. So, what we even though we were running an illegal copy of Image BBS, it was actually his copy. So he was trying to get us in trouble, um, and eventually he did get the serial number from our BBS and sent it in to the people, whoever wrote Image BBS, and it turned out to be his own serial number. So there was this whole beef thing that went back and forth. So we, that that's, um, you know, about the time where we were really paranoid about protecting our identities. Now, there were a few uh, things that Klaatu did. Klaatu, like, again, I want to reiterate this. Klaatu was in his 40s. I was 15. So the way he handled things when there was a problem like with Doc Dredd is he would come up with these, you know, elaborate little schemes, things that we could get even with him. This is what I did. I found a demo or a picture, a high res picture of very graphic pornography involving two men. And, um, I called it Dick Dredd and I uploaded it to every BBS I could find. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that really helped the situation. <laughs> and um, I think at one point we had taken a picture. Remember the Noid, Avoid the Noid, I think, from Domino's Pizza? We had changed the words to Avoid the Dread. 
and made demos and uploaded that to people. So, yeah, I, I wasn't really helping the situation, um, but I was handling things like, you know, a child uh, handles things, you know. And, and um, So anyway, I, I remember those times as being a lot of fun. I have heard, and this is a story that's completely third hand. I can't verify this at all, but I have heard that um, he, that Doc Dredd had got so mad at some of these demos and things that he had taken, copied them onto a disc and taken them to the local police department to try to get them to look at it, um, and he just got laughed out of the place, you know, but uh, I, I can't verify that story, but that, I somebody did tell me who supposedly knew someone who knew uh, that that had happened, but but while all this fighting was going on and all this drama and everything, we were still the OK Crackers. We're still doing what we did, which was um, getting software and injecting it into the Oklahoma BBS scene. Uh, I could not afford on a regular basis to call long-distance BBSs, but one time in... Um, this would have been... Uh, let's see, probably the summer between 7th and 8th grade... Um, so yeah, this is still, I'm like the summer when I was 15, um, I spent before that summer, I had spent some time calling Chicago BBSs and setting up accounts and establishing myself as a long distance user. Now, no matter where you called from, even though you would say like, well, doesn't seem very prestigious for somebody from Oklahoma to call Chicago. Um, anytime you got long distance callers, that was always very desirable. Even if it was from a place that doesn't sound very desirable. Um, so I had established, uh, with these people, the fact that I was calling long distance. Um, and so what I did was I set up all these accounts and then I took my Commodore with me when we went on vacation to go see my, um, uh, family in Chicago. And then it was a local call from there. So then I would call the BBSs locally while I was in Chicago and downloaded a ton of software and uploaded things, of course, too. Um, but I had got like two or three discs of programs that nobody in Oklahoma had seen. And then I, you know, after the vacation, when we came home, I had more uh, files that we could release as OKK releases. So um, that's what it was all about. I mean, it, it seems now I will tell you this. Um, everything that we did now is considered to be pretty tactless. I mean, Getting games that other people cracked and putting your intro on it is, you know, considered to be not very tasteful thing to do. Um, and that's what we were doing, you know. I mean, we weren't, for the most part, there were the the few titles that um, Brand McMorn had cracked for us that Klaatu had bought or whatever. But for the most part, what we were doing is, uh, you know, a glorified courier group, and we were attaching our name to the front of all these other people's hard work, so... Yeah, it's definitely um, not as prestigious as I thought it was when I was 15, you know. Especially the fact, um, I mean, not only that we weren't doing the work or whatever, but that our whole, we had built this little empire based off of, um, you know, crack software, off of programs that other people, you know, were trying to sell and that we had stolen, basically. And um, I have... um, I got email from a guy a few months ago, and um, basically he said it was an email just to let me know that he had stolen um, a copy of Commodore, that he had found Commodore on a uh, file sharing site somewhere, and he had downloaded it, 
And he thought, you know, it was okay or whatever, but um, uh, but he wasn't going to pay for it. And, you know, the, the um, PDF version, like I mentioned earlier, of Commodore is three bucks. So, it really, um, I won't say it made me mad or whatever. I wasn't mad. I wasn't frustrated, but it did make me think about when I first got my iPhone, I, the first thing I did was jailbreak it. Um, and my iPads are all jailbroken. My iPad's jailbroken basically for iMame. That's about the only reason why. But, um, but someone, you know, when I, when I first got my first iPhone, I got a 3GS. That was my first iPhone. Uh, actually, the, the iPod Touch I had before that. And the first thing I did was jailbreak it. And then I went and downloaded, you know, every app known to man. I mean, I had like, you know, page after page after page of, of all these apps. And after a while, you kind of, you look at yourself and you're like, I'm spending an awful lot of time stealing 99 cent apps. <laughs> Things that you could buy for a dollar, you know. And and um, I had got some iTunes gift cards for Christmas or birthdays or something, you know. And I, I didn't even use them. I just had them sitting there and um, didn't use them because I, I would just go in and get this stuff. And it kind of makes you think like, what is the lowest point of entry for somebody? Like, Jesus, you won't spend 99 cents on a program? Uh, so, I mean, I really can't blame somebody for, uh, you know, if they found a, a pirated copy of Commodore of downloading it, you know. And, and, I, and I understand the uh, irony of being upset about somebody doing that because it's an entire book where I talk about downloading other people's stuff and sharing it, you know, so, um, right, karma's a bitch, we all know that. And not just that, but when I, I did, when I, when I wrote Commodore, um, you know, I, I really had to go through and write down a lot of these stories. Um, some of the feedback that I got from Commodore said, who does this guy think he is? Like he's, you know, um, thinks he was the the greatest pirate of all time and that he uh I know, there's a there's a pretty unflattering review i think it's on amazon where the guy says um something to the effect that you know he he that i painted this glamorous picture of being a pirate and i i really didn't and, and that's that wasn't the whole point of commodore the whole point of commodore was that that's what the bbs times were like and not only is that what it was like, and, and I can only say that that's what it was like for me, but not only is that what's what it was like, but that's what it was like, you know, because I was 12 and 13 and 14 and, and you know, a preteen. So I don't know if you've ever met a preteen, but they don't always use the best judgment, you know. So the whole point of Commodore um, is, I mean, there's, there's a bigger storyline to the story. It's all filled with, BBS, uh, stories, um, you know, uh, my memories and things like that, but there's a bigger picture arc. The bigger picture of Commodore is that I grew up calling BBSs. So I started calling BBSs when I was a child. I started calling BBSs when I was 11 and 12 years old. And, um, you know, the, the BBS scene died when the internet came around, which was basically right around the time I turned, uh, 20, 21. 
I turned 21 the, the same year that I first saw the World Wide Web. So so the bigger picture, and I'm, I'm using hand gestures, which I know you can't see, but I'm drawing this big arc with my hand, a big rainbow type thing. But the story arc of Commodore is that my childhood, I mean, I grew up and I matured during those times on the BBSs. So yes, I mean, it is a book full of terrible stories and terrible things that, that I did and I, because I didn't have good judgment then, because I was I was a child, you know, and I, I made childish decisions. So to bring that around full circle, the OK Crackers. I mean, am I proud of the OK Crackers? I mean, I, I'm proud of... I, pride is not the right word, I guess. I mean, I enjoyed that time. I have tons of stories of of, um, you know, working on projects with Klaatu or Klaatu, um, was the first person I ever met that had a photo digitizer, uh, for the Commodore 64. And it would do like a medium res in two colors or whatever. And he had got these, uh, pictures from like, uh, like line drawings from the Hobbit. And he had um, scanned those in, and we were using those for for demos and intros and stuff like that. So we actually did a lot of cool things like that. So that's the stuff. Again, I don't know that pride's the right word, but it was fun, you know. So so I did enjoy that part of it. But the part where you look back and you go, this was a whole thing that we did for years by, you know, taking people's programs or whatever. No, who could be proud of that? No, there, there was no no pride, there was no skill, there was no talent, there was no um nothing to be proud of for doing that. It was um uh not not very nice, really, if you think about it. Um you know, I just this is funny. I, I don't know if this story's related or not, but uh, when I first started downloading MP3s in mass, uh, and this would have been right around the time I got my cable modem, so 98, 99, somewhere around there, I found out that people aren't very organized and, and that none of my files were named standard and all these things. And so I got this program. Uh, it might have been a little bit later, but it was called Oscar's Renamer or something like that. And it, it is a wonderful program for renaming lots and lots of files. Basically, to make a long story short, is it pulls up a directory of files on the left and on the right it, it puts all the file names almost in a like a notepad, like a free text box. And you can do search, replace, you can build macros, you can do all these things, and when you're done you can just write, you know, the file and it'll overwrite the file name. It's a it's a great program. And uh it comes up with a nag screen, but uh, once you click OK, then it goes past that, and you have the full version. I have been using this program for like five years, like I, I, you know, and not every day, but every time I need to go in, and I'm like, oh man, I need something to Oscar's rename or yes, and so I'll go find the program and I launch it, and you get that little nag screen that says, hey, if you enjoy this, please pay for it, and I've never paid for it, you know, and so uh, recently I was working on. Uh, I was looking through these these um, old Commodore discs of all these things, you know, and I, and I do think that as far as software and stuff comes, that I have some pretty bad karma uh, that I've been trying to to um, fix over the years when it comes to that. And um, 
I had these these pictures that I wanted to go rename in this folder. So I launched uh, Oscar's Renamer, and it came up with the nag, and I was like, you know what, Oscar? Today's your lucky day. I'm going to go pay for this program. And I went and I paid for it. It was 15 bucks, you know. Um, PayPal them. They sent me back a, uh, a serial number instantly, and, and um, that was that, you know. So that, so that, I think working on Commodore really changed... Uh, the way I think about software and stuff. I mean, back then, like I said, it was trading cards. It was um, currency. You know, you have this, I give you this. It was it was stuff used for for bartering. Like I said, it was trade bait. Um, but now, as someone who has created things, as someone who has written books, as someone who has uh, you know done all these things, who has sold things, now you know I see the impact. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so proud is not really a word that I use for that. And, and if people, I think if people didn't get the bigger picture of Commodore, maybe, you know, I mean, that was the first book I ever wrote. Maybe I didn't make it plain. Maybe I didn't, uh, spell it out clearly, but that was the intention behind Commodore was, was, uh, not to celebrate those glory days, but to share those stories and to show people what it was like in that time, uh, both as, a BBS person and as a young person growing up on BBSs, so kind of took this one off topic a little bit. We kind of went, uh, we took, we put the, uh, we put the old podcast Jeep in four wheel low. We took it off, off the road a little bit, but, um, yeah, the, the okay crackers. I don't, I, you know, I've said this a few times before about, um, you know, I mentioned this in the Ninja episode, like what happened to the OK Crackers, and it was the same kind of thing, you know. Um, when I turned sixteen, um, I got my car. Uh, I was still a Commodore user uh, for for a few more years, but um, you know, at school we had IBM's in ninety ninety one. So uh, you know, I remember playing a lot of Prince of Persia. I remember playing. You know, my friends started getting IBM's. And, uh, so I still had the Commodore. I still played with the Commodore and stuff, but the Commodore was starting to show, uh, I won't say show its age, but just collected a bit more dust during that time, you know? So, uh, at the end of Commodore, I tried to do a section called where are they now? And where I would go look up all those people uh, Mysteria, I have no idea where she's at. Beetlejuice, I have no idea where he's at. Um, Eight Ball still lives in the town I live in. Um, he's on my Facebook page. We talk. Uh, his kids go to my kid's school. At least uh, one of his kids does. So um, he is uh, sort. He's he's into uh, retro computer stuff. Um, I know he had an Atari computer recently. He talked to me about and. Um, uh, I, I think he's got, I don't know how many kids he has. I think three or four kids. So I don't think he's got a lot of time to do stuff like this. Um, one of the biggest disappointments with Commodore was I tracked down Klaatu. And um, I found his email address. And then I got his phone number and I called him and I talked to him. And he had very few recollections uh, about specific stories. Um, not just the OK Crackers, but of the Commodore time that we spent together in general. And I think some of that uh, comes into, 
it's more it's perspective i mean like if you think about like when you're 15 you know that stuff was really really important to me as a 15 year old um and he was 40 so i was a kid that came over and did some stuff and so it made a much bigger impression on me uh than it did for him i think so he told me that um in the early 90s he had moved on to the pc and uh that somebody at his church had wanted a computer and he gave them his Commodore and all his software, which I couldn't believe. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's just, I think there are, um, there are nostalgic people and there are non nostalgic people. I mean, I have, um, uh, I used to, um, have these deals. I would get together with a couple friends and we would share old stories about high school uh, and just tell these old stories. And one would remember like intimate details. Like anytime anybody had ever said anything to him, if anybody had ever wronged him, if anybody had ever, um, you know, I mean, looked at him a certain way, he would remember those details. And the other, uh, friend of mine said he couldn't remember any of his teacher's names. <laughs> he couldn't remember, uh, I mean, he said he remembered, he's pretty sure he went to high school, but that's about it. <laughs> So, you know, there are some people that just hang on to that stuff and some that don't. And I'm definitely a person that hangs on to those things. I mean, I, I am, you know, I, I have all my old Commodore discs I still have sitting right here, you know, and I can pick up these discs every now and then I'll, I'll think of a, a game or something and all my discs had labels on them and they had numbers, you know, uh, and it's like, I'll remember what disc something was on. Like I'll remember the number, uh, or I'll remember something about it, you know, and, um, not everybody's like that, you know? So, uh, I think the people that listen to podcasts like these, those of us that are still into the retro stuff that like the old stuff, I think we're, 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 um, unique in that aspect. Not everybody's like that. So I, and I think that's something to be, um, celebrated. I don't think it's something weird. I don't think it's something that, um, to be ashamed of or whatever. I think it's something great. Um, I mean, obviously you have to live in today, but, um, you know, keeping those memories alive and that stuff and, and still messing around with old hardware and stuff, I think it's cool. So, man, this podcast has taken, I, I don't know, I, this podcast is weird, man. <laughs> talking about the OK Crackers, it just brings back a bunch of old memories, you know. And um, uh, so I hope this one didn't go too far, too far off base for you. Um yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about the OK Crackers. Um, one project that I would like to finish is that I have taken all my old discs, and I'm going to call it the uh, my old Commodore discs, and I'm going to call it the OKK collection, but I have taken all those and converted them over into D64 disc images. And, and um, at one point, I was going to go through and cleanse them all because, I, you know, they have a lot of personal, like, captured messages and... and you know, phone numbers from BBSs and stuff, but I don't think I'm going to cleanse them. I think uh, once I get it all sorted out and stuff, I'm just going to zip it up and put it online and let people go through it and dig through and, and you'll be able to see what BBS stuff, you know, what my life was like in the mid eighties. And, and, uh, once I do that, you'll be able to see all those okay cracker, uh, discs as well. So if you're dying to see those, maybe, maybe I'll work on that this summer. I can't think of anything else to say about the OK Crackers. It was a fun time. I enjoyed it. Not necessarily proud of it. Um, yeah, I think that covers it. So, 
Man, I, I rambled on on this episode. I'm sorry. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I've got a couple other topics, but I'm always looking uh, for what you guys want to hear. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. You can catch me on Facebook at the You Don't Know Flack Facebook page. You can hit me up at Twitter at at Commodore, or you can call the voicemail box at 206-309-9501. So if you have story ideas, if you have topics you want to hear about, anything like that, send them in. If you have feedback, good, bad, whatever, uh, I love to hear it. So if you have more uh, letters or anything like that, feel free to send it in. Uh, I think uh, with that, we'll, we'll... whole episode 134 we'll try to rein everything back in uh and bring this one to a close so um, once again sorry about missing last week we'll try not to let that happen again thanks for coming back thanks for sticking with me and uh, i look forward to cranking out another episode next week of you don't know flat thanks everybody and i'll see you next week